listeners, and welcome back to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Green, joined here with Alexander Norin. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming out. I am so, so very excited for our guest today because he is one of my good friends. He's a leading expert in this field. We're talking about Eric Chester. How are you, Eric? I am dynamite. If I were any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> and we'd have you both on the show, by the way. That's uh, right. <laughs> uh, well, Eric, let me just awesome. brag about you a little bit to our listeners. Eric Chester, he really is the go-to expert on finding, engaging, and keeping great employees. He is the best-selling author of On Fire at Work, How Great Companies Ignite Passion in Their People Without Burning Them Out, which is a great title for a book, by the way. Like right. That is exactly what we're trying to do with uh, some of our employees is to help them feel more engaged and experienced at work. He yeah. has delivered keynotes more than 2,000 times in great companies all over the world. He's spoken for Harley Davidson, McDonald's, Sprint, Great Clips, Wells Fargo, and Subway. So we're so grateful for having you on the show. I, is there anything else that our listeners need to know about? I, I tell you, after an introduction like that, I cannot wait to hear what I've got to say. It's, yeah, it's, I'm pretty, yeah, we're all, we're all yeah, ears, man. I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait, man. <laughs> well, well, tell us a little bit about, I guess, uh, the work that you do around um, employee engagement. You are the expert. And so how do you go into these companies and, and what do you say? Well, you know, Josh, my background is one of, I'm, I'm a former high school business teacher and a football coach. And, and the, the, the teaching part, I was back in the day, it was called vocationally credentialed. Nowadays, they call it career and tech ed. So the students in my class had to have jobs, right? So they learned about business while they're in, while they're in class. And then they had jobs in retailing, restaurant, hospitality, grocery stores, convenience stores, et cetera. And I was responsible to make sure that those students got a grade for working. So I had to stay in touch with their employer, their manager, to find out if they're getting a variety of experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And we also brought the parents in to, you know, because the parent was concerned that their kids, you know, getting a well-rounded education. And they're not around, you know, school as much as some other students because, again, they're working part-time. So it was school-to-work transition. And then I went from that to being a speaker for you. So I spent about 10 years standing in gymnasiums, talking to high school kids, trying to help them prepare for the next step. What does this school thing mean? And how do you get from here to there when you don't even know where there is? His careers are pretty hard to figure out. So I did, you know, 1,500 different high school presentations, every state in, in the U.S. and all the provinces of Canada, and, you know, just, just wound up working with youth. And then somewhere along the way, realized, you know, I'm preparing youth for the future, but everybody keeps talking about Generation X. I know this isn't Generation X. People are struggling. And I started getting real interested in generational studies. About the same time, I started getting calls from companies and organizations that said, hey, we're having, we're having trouble. We just don't understand the, these new Gen Xers. And I knew they weren't Generation X. So I started writing my own book. And the book was called Employing Generation Y. It was spelled W-H-Y. And why do I have to work uh, nights and weekends? Why do I have to wear that stupid looking uniform? And hey, man, I've worked here for three days. Why can't I have your job? And so the book took off and I wound up getting, con you know, uh, wound up getting contacted by so many different companies and organizations that were originally struggling with recruiting, training, managing, motivating what now is referred to as millennials. I call them Generation Y, uh, W-H-Y. 
And I rode that brand for about uh, eight, nine years. And then, you know, as I started working with these companies, I got more and more knowledgeable in terms of the tactics and strategies that seemed to work to engage them into the workplace, to make them want to come to work, to make them want to, you know, show up early and pull their pants up and give the kind of respect that they should to their employer and blah, blah, blah. So that kind of launched me. And now it's just been a process of aggregating so many great ideas that I that, that I get from working with these companies and organizations and figuring out what's working and what's not working in terms of how do you find and keep great people and how do you develop them? And so that's what this work of mine is all about. That's that I, I only speak to audiences comprised of people who somebody else calls boss. So if you, you know, are struggling with employees and bam, I'm the guy that kind of helps you try to figure them out. And it's not just young people. It's now we're, we're dealing with a workforce that is, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's this mosaic of of young people, retirees that didn't have enough uh, saved, and now coming back into the workforce. Of course, fourth genders, or I don't know, maybe there's multiple genders the way people are classifying them now, and we've got different ethnicities and all of this hodgepodge that doesn't doesn't come into the workforce the way that they did back in the day. And, and the day is when so many employers remember themselves coming into the workforce. So anyway, that's, that's a long-winded question to, to, or answer to the question you asked me. How do, how do you wind up in employee engagement? That's it. That's so organic. Yeah. I love incredible. how you did it because you started finding like the problem and asking the why questions and then finding the solutions. And let me just tell my listeners, your my favorite technique that you use, and I think this is so genius. Keep in mind, listeners, Eric Chester is speaking in front of like all of the managers of Subway and all of their top executive staff. And he'll get up there and he will go and he will beforehand interview some of their employees in the trenches. He just asks them, do you like your job? How do you feel about work? And then he shows those video clips to the executive staff in his keynote to be like, do you know what your employees are saying about working for Subway? And I think it just brings such an awesome and natural feel to it. Sometimes I think they forget what it's like to be that person making the sandwich. And so what is the result or, or why do you do that? What's the, what's the end, end goal there? Well, you know, maybe it comes out of insecurity, Josh. When I started, it was enough to say, look, I've been in the trenches for 10 years with high school and, and uh, you know, some college, but mostly high school students. So I know what they think. Let me tell you how they think. Well, then you get older, right? And naturally, I started back in, in uh, 2000, 2001, when millennials, were, nobody even knew what that was. It was kind of the seminal guy out there talking about this new emerging generation. And so it was enough back then to say, Here's who they are, and here's what makes them different. But then people wanted more and more actionable ideas, right? Here's, we, we, we want to know, you know, as, as so many different people jumped into the fray and started adding their, you know, here, look, look at millennials, and here's what makes them different, and four generations in the workplace, and all that, what I think is very common type presentations, I wanted to take mine in a different direction, so it became more actionable. Well, in that process, I grew older. Believe it or not, I'm 20 years older than I was back in 1998. It just, it just somehow worked that way. <laughs> so I went from being this guy that was, had my ear to the ground and in the trenches with young people to one that really studies and tries to still stay in touch with them, but kind of look like, look, 
I can't stand up here and just tell you from an academic standpoint what millennials think. I'm not the guy that regurgitates a bunch of statistics that come down from, you know, uh, ridiculous questionnaires and all these forums and studies. And I, I, I just kind of poo-poo the whole thing. I'm an in the trenches guy. I go up and I talk to people. I ask them questions. And it became really important to my audiences rather than hearing me just say, here's what they think. Why don't I let them tell the audience what they think? So I went in and I started interviewing people and holding up, you know, my interviewing them on iPhones and what have you, asking them a, a series of questions and finding some really provocative answers. And, and usually what it is, is you think this, well, let's see, bam. And then someone comes on and you're like, wow, I didn't think about that. I didn't think they felt that way. And so that's what helps. That's what helps make the presentation so, I don't know, so different. And nobody exactly. else does it. It sounds like from these types of uh, this type of style that you, you get some you have the potential at least to get some pretty uh, unique responses. Is that is that fair to say? Alexander, phenomenally diff unique responses. Yeah. You don't know. You know there there was a there was a show way before you guys were born back on this thing we called television network television. Mm -hmm. There was a show uh, Art Linkletter was this guy that went out and and he, he he would talk to kids, little kids sitting on a stool, and his whole program was called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Uh, and it was so cute, you know. It was just right. it was just a talking head just interviewing kids sitting on a stool, and they'd ask them about various things and. Right. Everybody really liked that. You know, everybody at the time was like, wow, how neat, how cute. You know, yeah. they make you laugh and, you know, what have you. Remember the AT&T commercials of about eight years ago? I think that guy that's on Saturday Night uh, Live now, Dirk, whatever his last name is. He did these commercials where he'd go in, he'd sit at the small table and these guys would start oh, yeah, talking yeah. about, you know, they'd ask him questions. Same thing. Well, kids say the darndest things. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of deal. You don't know when it's unscripted what people are going to say. And when... I go in and I talk to young people, teenagers, and say, look, I, I don't work for this company. I, I have nothing to do with this company. And, and I'd like, you know, I'm, I'm, I usually get an introduction through management and it comes through maybe a corporate office. Look, I'm just here to try to help managers to, uh, you know, deal with you better, right? Let's say I'm working with a burger chain. I'm, I'm just trying to help managers who all run stores like this, you know, understand what their employees want. So I'd like to ask you a few questions. You don't have to ask any answer, any, and if, you know, then I'll kind of, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of excerpt those things. I'll try to keep them in, in short little bursts and, you know, find the sound bites and we'll find out, you know, nothing you're going to say is going to get you promoted and nothing you say here is going to get you fired. It's just between you and me. And if you don't want to answer a question, say, but no one's going to know. I'm not going to say, Hey, this is Bobby Smith. And I'm here in Little Rock, <laughs> Arkansas. And he lives on, you know, Elm yeah, Street. It yeah. doesn't, it's not like that. They might know that your name is, you know, Bobby and you're, you're 17. So what are some, what are some of then, the, what are some of the more compelling responses you've, you've, you've seen some of the, some of the responses that made you stop and think, wow, that's, that's profound. That is, that is a profound um, answer or, or nugget or experience that this employee is having that uh, would be helpful if all managers could, could really understand that. Well, you know, Alexander, that'd be almost like asking you, have you ever seen a comedian? Yeah. Give me, <laughs> tell me one of the jokes that they told you because okay, there's so enough. many. Yeah, it's so many. Fair enough, fair I don't enough. know that I can, I don't know that I can give you one. Let me give you sure. a couple of examples of my okay. favorite clips. Um, one time this, this one chain uh, was having difficulty um, hanging on to management, found out managers were leaving because they were tired of the way schedules were being run. They were like, gosh, darn, we we're covering because, these young people, they don't come in, 
on time. They leave, they don't call in, they don't whatever. And we're always covering for them and it's just driving us crazy. So they were losing managers because managers were sick and tired of dealing with scheduling issues. So I went in and I asked this, you know, really attractive, bright, young um, gal. She was probably 17 and just, uh, hey, tell me about the attendance policy here. And she went on this thing like, you know, today I was late. Well, kind of late, um, you know, and when you're late, they kind of give you a frowny face sometimes. I mean, you know, it really depends upon who's working and it depends if you have a good excuse and it's okay. And so I, this video clip is so iconic because you watch it and you turn around and go, this young, lively, energetic face has no idea what the attendance policy is. <laughs> and then you ask the audience and you just turn it over to the audience and go, if I ask the people who work for you, what's your attendance policy? Are they going to tell you? Do they know what to do? Mm -hmm. Half the time we think they should, but they don't. Right. right. So we blame them because, hey, they're never showing up on time and they're always late. And, uh, well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. What is your attendance policy? Does everybody know exactly what to do? And more importantly, because I wrote this book, Employing Generation Y, do they know why it's important not to be five minutes late? Do they it's five minutes? Hey, guess what? Their history teacher lets them skate. They come in five minutes late every day. It's not that big a deal. As long as they bring them a donut on Friday, he's fine with it. They don't realize if they show up five minutes late, that means their coworker, Jorge, had to stay to cover that shift. Now, Jorge missed his bus. So he's not going to get home, uh, you know, till 20 minutes from now. And because he doesn't get home for 20 minutes, he's not going to be able to take his young son, uh, Alexander, to the soccer tryouts. Guess what? Alexander is not going to make the soccer team this year. You know why? Because Jorge wasn't home. Why? Because Jorge needed you to be there. And because you weren't there, it's only five minutes to you, but do you see how your actions affect other people? And now all of a sudden people go, oh my God, they don't get it. Just yeah, saying I be on time is not enough. There is no, there's no rationale behind that command. And because when there's not a reason, a compelling reason, and they don't get it, then to them, all it is is, do as, do as I say, not as I do. And it doesn't work. Right. And it's, it, that, that's a very practical approach to this idea of employee engagement. And it seems like the reason that we're showing these clips and the reason that we're really getting in the trenches with what the experience is for these employees is because we want to help their managers create a culture and create policies that are fair and, and to help them eventually just like work harder or perform better and, and stay longer at their job. That's it, Josh. You just took the line right off my website. It's working harder, performing better, and staying longer. Those three things. That actually, that is uh, that's copyrighted. But anyway, that's it. That's what <laughs> you we heard did. it here at Forge it yeah. first, everybody. We invented it. <laughs> this is our. I'm just kidding. That's it. That's it. No, no. And and that's the goal. That's what everybody wants in every profession. Now we're not just talking about frontline teenagers here, right? That we're what people need to understand is. If you're not dealing with millennials or you're not dealing with the challenge of a frontline workforce, okay, then that's, this couldn't possibly relate to executives. I worked with an organization two weeks ago um, in Denver and the organization, they, that's just where they meet. That's not where they're headquartered. They have 12 offices around the world. They're a global economic consultancy. The only people they hire are PhDs. You got to have a PhD to even get hired. So you're 32, 33 years of age, by the time you've gone through immense academic training. Some of the finest institutions in the world, the Stanfords, the Harvards, the MITs, the Yales, Columbia, whatever. So they hire these economic uh, PhDs to do consulting. 
and oftentimes they're brought in to testify in uh, legal battles. Uh, you know, maybe there's intellectual property between, you know, Google and Samsung. Okay, who gets brought in to talk about what's the economic impact? Well, you can imagine the professional testimony, it's going to cost a fortune. And that's what these, that's what these people do. They, they testify, they, they look at the economic impact, et cetera. All right. So I had a meeting, a phone meeting with 12 senior partner board members who all run these offices across the country. And I asked them, what are your challenges, man? Tell me what kind of issues you're dealing with when, when it comes to, you know, the PhDs that you're hiring now. I wish I could have recorded the call because if I were done and I would have played every one of their comments and just eliminated the name of the organization and the title of the position, you'd have thought I was talking to managers from Burger King. Mm. It's the uh -huh. same thing. These guys come in from day one, you know, they, we, you, you put them to work on, on Monday and they want, you know, Thursday afternoon off and then they don't like the office you put them in and, you know, they, they're unprofessional when it comes to work and right off the bat, you ask them to do something and they say, hey, that's really not my job. I'm more qualified than that. And all the issues that you hear about in, you know, when you start thinking about the teen labor force, it has nothing to do with age. It has to do with the way people now enter the workforce and their thoughts, their, their beliefs, their attitudes, the way they were raised. How, what, 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 what's their core value? We're talking about people who've seen their parents outsource, right size, downsize by the companies that, or that they sacrifice their careers to build. We got a free agent workforce. It's a mentality out there. Nobody joins a company going, you know what? I'm going to put in my 40 years and you know, I'll retire with a gold watch and a pension and it's all going to be okay. Nobody thinks that anymore. Mm -hmm. But you have a lot of the managers and what have you that you deal with, and that's exactly how they were raised, and they saw their parents play that game. You know, they graduate. When I graduated from high school, and granted, I'm old, right? I'm close to being dead. But when I graduated from high school, <laughs> oh, come on. the guys that were, I, I, I remember a guy in front of me and a guy in back of me, we were all friends, okay? So that we went up alphabetically, and there was so, so Jim Kappa was in front of me, Marty Cohn's behind me. Right before we go up and get our diplomas on graduation day, Cap leans over and, uh, around me and goes, hey, Cohn, what are you going to do next year? Marty goes, I got a job at the post office. How about you, Cap? Cap says, I think my mom's going to get me on with the airlines. They use the word get me on, which means what? Get on a conveyor belt. I'm going to jump on this conveyor belt. I'm going to get hired, and this airline will take care of me. This postal service, this will last. Right? It's just going to be that way. So I'll get on, and you know what? Pretty soon I'll get a decent route, and you know I'll be able to drive my truck, and I'll have holidays off, and da 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 da, and I'll have a nice little pension when I retire, and you know, I can get married and have a couple of kids. That's the way people used to think. And you and I know people don't think like that anymore, right? You guys, right. like you said, you're young enough. You, that's not the way you think, but that's the way your parents thought. Right. I can promise you that's the way your parents thought. Yeah. Can I like, get on? And they weren't thinking about, it was very much that. It was like a contractual obligation. When you got a job, you did a certain job, and that's just how it was. There was no thought about employee engagement or happiness. It's not asking, how, how are you feeling at work? It's get the job done. And I think that we've evolved in the world today to now it's important because there are a lot more opportunities to this younger generation. And it's not about money so much as it is about the experience itself. So I, I guess what have, what have you run into as you're working with these corporations as, as far as like the workforce shifting from a you have to get this done to 
please stay? Well, you know, everyone says we have a retention problem. What's a, what's a retention strategy? <laughs> There's no such thing. You know, you think about it, there's no such thing. Because if you get boiled down to a retention, oh, Josh is going to turn in his notice. What are we going to do? There's only one thing they're going to do. Josh, what's that? Uh, think about it. What are they going to do? What, they, they, all of a sudden, they find out you're going to yeah, turn in your notice. What are they, if they want to keep, keep you, what are they going to do at that point? More money. They might say, yeah, more That's money. It. That's it. We'll match How the... much are you making? Right. So here's the deal. If, if, if that's it, it's just going to come down to a money thing, right? If that's, if that's what it's going to take, you're, you're missing the boat. So the book that you referenced that I wrote um, on firework talks about the seven cultural pillars that everybody evaluates their job, their position when they go to work, right? What, what, and compensation is very much on that. And some people, that's the only thing. Look, my kids got to eat. I got to be able to fix my car. Okay, great. Compensation is important. And to some people, it is the most important, but not everybody. You can't say to millennials, it's not important. Are you kidding me? We're going to brand, you know, 80 million, 90 million people and say it is important to them or not. Them, them who? Some say it's the most important and some say, I don't care. I don't give a flying fopla. I'll live under a bridge if I can just, you know, be a DJ at night. They don't care. So some, everybody's different. It's very individualized, right? So compensation is important. How important? I don't know. But there are six other factors that go into making what this job really is. So when I say retention is not a, there's no retention strategy. Retention is a byproduct. If you hire the mm-hmm. right people and you treat them the way they need to be treated, right? Not the way you want to treat them, not the way you want to be treated, the way they want to be treated. If you hire the right people, treat them the way they want to be treated retention goes away. You don't have to worry about it, right? People aren't going to leave a job where they go, man, I really like this. I wake up in the morning and I love it. I pinch myself. I say, I can't believe I get to do this. Somebody's going to come by and say, hey, I'll pay you more than money to do this. Guess what? Forget you. I'm living the dream, man. <laughs> so I could make a few more shekels working from you. This job right here, man, I love my boss, my coworkers. We have a great time. We have a fantasy football league you know we go out and have beers on friday afternoon i really feel like i'm doing important work here you know i mean we're we're doing not not only so much for our customers man what we're putting back into the community makes me feel good every time we crank out a widget by the way i love the way this happens and that happens and if i need some advice i got somebody there to help me and when i fall out of line someone's giving me some structure showing me how to grow They know that someday I'd like to be able to do this thing and they're kind of teaching me that along the way or at least giving me some skills are going to help. There's no way I'm leaving. I ain't leaving. I love it. So, so how does, how does a a company get there? You know, cause I think, I think I would think that most of the organizations out there are are not, are not there yet. They're not, they're not considering uh, these, these seven pillars that you mentioned or, or anything really in regards to, um, the underlying causes of these, you know, quote unquote, retention problems or um, engagement issues, right? Um, h- how do they transition? It seems like an almost impossible feat to completely shift how an organization thinks about and treats employees. Well, I'm going to tell you the answer here, um, uh, Alexander, but the, the problem is, and this is going to be the last podcast in your listeners ever listen to, because that's what they want to know. Right, so we're just going to get the answer, and then, and then you guys are going to have to change your topic. You're going to have to talk about the rise of the buffalo That's meat right. in China. Right. Right. You're going to have to change the topic because we're going to nail it right here, man. Let's here, do it. Here, here's the deal: 
so, so, so how does the company get there? They never stop trying. They look at those seven cultural pillars and they go, what are we going to do today to improve across these seven pillars? What could we, how could we be better today than we were yesterday? Right? If you ask yourself that every day, so, okay, pick out one of them. Let's say atmosphere. And we're doing everything we can to make sure that this is the kind of atmosphere people would really want to want to be. Are, do people feel safe while they're here? Right? Mm -hmm. Are we providing them the tools that they need? Uh, what, what about the temperature in here? Is it too hot, too cold? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the chairs that they're sitting in, are they comfortable enough for them? Right? Do we do, are we, you know, what can we do to create a better, hey, uh, Halloween's coming up. Are we doing anything, you know, to, to, to special, you know, will there be a, a pumpkin with some candy on their desk when they come in? Or yeah, maybe, right. it's a, maybe it's a, a manufacturing, idea. are we doing something right now for their kids? Are we letting them off a little early? Thing? What are we doing mm -hmm. to create a better atmosphere? That's one pillar. Then you move around and say, okay, what are we doing for alignment? In other words, to be a values-based company that they feel really good about working here. What are we doing for our community, for other people? What are we doing besides just trying to make money? What are we doing to be the kind of place that the people that work here say, it makes me feel good. I know I'm solving some problems and we're doing more than just helping the CEO buy a nicer car. Mm. What, what, what are we doing, right? Every day across the board. Now, people, oh, that's exhausting. I don't want to do that. Fine. Don't do that. Deal with what you got. Deal, deal, deal with the workforce that you got, right? Because employees right now have choices. I mean, we're dealing with a workforce right now. Anybody fully deployed, right? They say 3%, 4% unemployment. Hey, face it. Everybody that you want to hire in your organization, they already have a job. I mean, that's the bottom line. Right. You're not, you don't want to hire somebody who's sitting on the couch today searching Craigslist you know, uh, for whatever job they can find and, and, and play in Fortnite in between. Yeah, that's not who you're looking for. You want, you got somebody specific <laughs> in mind. You know what? Yeah, exactly. Which is why, why you guys have time to do a podcast. <laughs> that's so true. Oh, anyway, the reality is everybody that you, anyone that you want working for you, they already have a job. Right. So here's the thing. What are you doing to be the kind of place that they would leave their job to say, I'd rather work there? You want customers to do that, right? You know that whatever product or service you're involved in right now, whatever kind of company organization, I don't care if it's a, uh, you, you flip burger, sell pizza, or you're a global economic consultancy. You know your customers, clients, patients, whatever you want to call them, have choices, right? They have choices. They can go somewhere else. What, what you know what you're thinking about today how am i going to get more customers how am i going to get more people in the door how are we going to make more money let me tell you something you solve your employee engagement when you put as much effort into how am i going to make this a better place to work mm. how, which, what, how we, what are we going to do let's look at these seven pillars we what are we, we going to do to become a better place to work pause real quick and let everybody sink that in mm -hmm. in order how did you say that when we can we give this out one more time so that we can we can really embrace that. if you put as much if you put as much energy and focus into the question, how do I make this a better place to work? As you do in, how do I get more customers? How do I make more money? How do I increase my margins? How do I decrease my costs? All those questions that you ask yourself every day, which are basically consumer, per, per, uh, whether it's a B2B or a customer focus uh, deal, like what, what are we doing? How, how are, do our customers like it? You walk into any restaurant in the world, when you're done, they're going to say, hey, there's a, there's a survey on the back 
we want to know what you really think. Would you tell us? And we'll give you, you know, a free soda next time you come in. Or you get, everybody wants to know what does the customer think? You go into a hospital. Hey, we want to find out what is your experience like? And we're all so focused. On, That's great. Are you putting the same amount of focus on? Hey, are my people really enjoying it? What can we do? Not just can I give them an annual performance review and just say at the end, hey, uh, so what, do you like working here? Is there anything I No. That that's like we're not putting anything into it. Right. So it's the old yoga whippy philosophy. Yoga whippy. Y O G O. I can't remember. It's eight letters, but it stands for what you only get out what you put in. Right? That's it. You, <laughs> you only get out what you put in. Right. 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 So if you're not putting in a whole lot into your workforce, if you're not putting a whole lot into your culture, and you know what? Nobody wants to hear this. Everybody that's listening to this podcast right now, you know what they want, guys? They want that silver bullet. Just give me the three things I can do so yeah. I can all of a sudden engage my employees. And guess what? I don't have well, to listen to a podcast. There's and I'm seven done. of them, and it's in a book. <laughs> it's already been written. There you go. On fire at work, <laughs> but, but, everybody. It's still, it's still, it's right. not yes. a silver bullet. It's not. All it is is it's, it's, it becomes, you know, Josh, you've done a fair amount of parent programs, so have I, where you go out and you speak to a school, and then next thing you know, you, you, you're, you wind up talking to parents. And parents that come, typically the parents that come fit into one or two brackets. Either their kids are amazing, right? Or their kids, they don't even talk to them, right? It's just, it's too late. The ones, the vast amount in the middle, right? The vast amount, the 80% in the middle, they don't come. Right. And, and, and those are the ones that are probably struggling the most. So what do I say to parents? As long as you're asking yourself these questions, I'm not going to give you a bunch of to-do and to do. I mean, I, I got kids at home that are climbing the walls. Trust me, I'm, I'm, I don't have all the answers. I, I, I don't even know what the questions are. Right. But I'm telling you what, every day I ask myself, what can I do to be a better dad? What can I do to be a better dad? And I don't just ask that rhetorically. I mean, what do I need to do across each and every child? What are they dealing with? What what do they need from me? What do they want from me? What can I do? If you're asking the questions, if you're feeling, oh, God, overwhelmed, good. If you're feeling, ah, eh, I got this. No, my kids are great. Everything's good. You know what? Your 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 kids probably out selling crack. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just it's just the thing is you just right. you you, you got to have your hand on the wheel and you should be you should be continuously asking yourself. It, it, you're you're green and growing. You're ripe and rotten. You're 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 either hungry and constantly improving or you're not. And if you say, hey. We worked on employee engagement. We did a survey, I think it was a, a year, year and a half ago. We asked our employees and we asked for a few things. And you know what? We, uh, we, we started playing some cool music in the factory. We brightened lights and we, we told them, you know, hey, we're going to give you casual Fridays. You can wear your sneakers. So guess what? We got that handled. No, you don't. Nice. Mm. Right. Right. Nope. It's uh, how did Jerry Maguire put it? It's an up at dawn, pride swallowing siege. It's hard to engage employees. It's hard. And, and I say it's hard to engage them. It's even harder to get an on-fire-at-work workforce. Mm. But I'll tell you this. Go into an Apple store. In, in, in the mall that's closest to you, the, the outlying store, wherever, go into an Apple store. You want to see employees that are on fire at work, that love their product, that love their company, that are incredibly loyal, to, to, to both and love on their customers. 
I'm going to tell you something. Go into an Apple store. And you go, well, what, what's the difference here? I'll tell you. It's the way they treat their people. Mm. And they focus on becoming a better place to work every single day. And by the way, they just become, became America's first trillion-dollar company. So guess what? If your focus is on treating your people well, on really engaging them, you're going to have an on-fire workforce. You're going to get better every single day. And if you've stopped and said, you know, we deal with that once a year. We have a little retreat. And we just, you know, I pitch it to HR. Hey, what do you guys need from us? You're, you're missing it, man. You're missing it. Yeah. Your well, people have choices. This has been just a great <laughs> just a reminder, Jeez. cracking the whip on what companies have to do. And we're so grateful to have you on the show. We just want to wrap things up here by saying, if you were to be sitting down one-on-one -on -one with the CEO of a company who wants to do better but doesn't know where to get started, what would you say to them? Uh, time to talk to your people. Time to get out from behind your, your office and walk around and find out what people really think. I mean, you know, um, you ask me how I find out. I, I go around and I talk to people. I just happen to do it with my iPhone. But, uh, you know, talk is the first thing. Find out. Um, don't do a survey monkey, you know. No, just go around and talk to some folks right? Find out what they really think. Convene people. If you go, you know what? People really don't like our uniforms. Don't just go out and pick another uniform. Pull your people together and go, what do you think? What should we do here? What don't you like about them? Mm -hmm. If you ASK, you will G-E-T. People will tell you, <laughs> right? They will. They'll tell you. So the first thing, first thing, get out from behind the desk. Go talk to your people. Find out where your holes are. You can't fix what you don't know is broke. You, you can't fix it. So I have a survey uh, that goes along with those seven things. It's called on fire. You can go to onfireatwork.com. There's a survey in there, uh, uh, you know, that you can use for your employees. Ask 35 questions. They can take it on their smartphone or, you know, uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's my breed, it, my way of, of uh, five questions under each of these seven areas all mixed up. And this, those survey responses come to us. We put it together and then we send you, uh, you know, a report that says, here, this is how your people feel. Because sometimes it depends. If you're an Ayatollah leader and you go up and go, how do you like your job? You're going to hear a lot of, I love it. I wouldn't change a thing because they're afraid. And maybe you're not really getting the answer. There's a difference between what people will say and what they really feel inside. They've got to feel like they can, they can be trusted to tell you, hey, this place really sucks. I hate this. This policy is terrible. You took away our company vehicles two years ago and I still am pissed about it. Mm. Right? And you don't know because how do you know? How do you know how they feel? Uh, everyone seems like when I ask them, is that okay? They go, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. Hey, that person, they quit. They, they quit. They just didn't tell you. They're what I call a road warrior, R-O-A-D, retired on active duty. They're gone. <laughs> you, you lost them. They're, they're working for, if they're, their mind and their body have checked out. They're looking for a bigger, better, more faster deal. And, and they're already out the door. You don't know. You got to look down the road. You got to know your people are happy, deliriously happy. And the only way to do that is to continue to keep that dialogue open. So yeah, I have an assessment. And uh, you know, if, if you don't have your own assessment, uh, uh, you know, try mine. Uh, just again, onfireatwork.com or ericchester.com will lead you there. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's thank just you. been absolutely fantastic mm -hmm. learning from you. And uh, we just appreciate it and we'll catch you next time.
Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for having me, man. All the best. I know you guys are out there solving problems uh, in this in this uh, really delicate area, and I know that you guys have what it takes, the passion and the drive, and I'm glad I could be a part of it, man. Yeah?